Hello, and welcome to Looks Unfamiliar, the show that remembers Dame Pack Bacon's bizarre Cray Twins riffing, personally endorsed by Herbert the Turbot advertising campaign, which lasted for two adverts. You can't help but wonder what Herbert might think of the prospect of a no-deal Brexit. I'm Tim Worthington, and joining me today to talk about some of the things that he remembers, that no one else ever seems to, is comedian Pete Proch. Pete, what are you up to and where can we find it? I do the odd bit of stand-up comedy. I do a character actor called Trisha Timpson, and I'm starting to play her boyfriend, Daz Wonsom. The main thing I'm doing at the moment is a retro gaming video channel called Reheated Pixels. That's on YouTube. It's only just been launched. And the first few videos are bringing in quite a crowd, so there you go. Okay, well, I'm sure you're aspiring to the absolute comedy heights of your first choice. Let's just hear, well, it's not the theme music I remember, but let's hear it anyway. If there ever was a Tiswas Expanded Universe, and this is very much part of it, but you wouldn't think so from that theme music, but we're coming back to that. Pete, what was How Dare You? It was Tyne Teasy's mad thing in the mid-80s to take on a couple of ex-Tiswas stars, John Gorman and Clive Webb, not quite as famous as Chris and Sally. And essentially, it's supposed to be a game show with kids just mucking about and stuff. They pretty much through gunge everywhere it's, it's <laughs> probably one of the messiest things i've ever seen so, uh, up until dick and dom and the bungalow and they put on a lot of daft comedy into it a lot of stuff sketches and things like that i mean it hasn't aged well i saw an episode recently and it's a bit toe curling but uh yeah it had the proper tiswas spirit yeah because as you say i mean john gorman was a mainstay of tiswas clive webb was very heavily involved in it wasn't just the last series, was it? He was around a bit before that. Yes, occasionally. He's a figure that's weirdly forgotten now, because as Wizard Webb, as he dubbed himself, who really did look like an escaped member of Wizard, so <laughs> it was quite apt, really. But he was everywhere at one point, and of course he was married to Mad Lizzie, Lizzie Webb. So they kind of ruled TV in the early 80s, and they've sort of disappeared. But he was... Definitely, he was part of that anarchic spirit of Tiswas. And while a lot of shows that tried to take on the Tiswas gungy aspect really toned it down or tried to bring it under control or whatever, how dare you really did retain that wildness? And like you say, there was a lot of gunge in it just being thrown everywhere all the time. To the extent that I don't remember what the quiz element was, apart from, I have a faint memory that... Wasn't the third anchor Floella Benjamin? In the first series, yes. Yeah, and there was a bit where she said, now let's go to the goodie bin, like that. And that's all I remember about it, <laughs> they got prizes out of a bin. Yes, and things like um, disgusting old wellies, and you had to sling them and things like that. <laughs> Every series, the female host would change. It'd be Cheryl Baker, uh, Kerry Gray, people like that would just uh, float in, float out with no explanation whatsoever. I just remember Florella Benjamin turning up on ITV and it's an arc thing. It's quite about out of character for her. She's expected to be on BBC and being all um, authoritarian. Well, the female anchor wasn't the only thing that changed because, as I say, that theme music there, I 
think was only on the later series, and it's Five Star basically doing Stay Out of My Life, which was not a massive hit to begin with. Retooled with slightly changed lyrics as the How Dare You theme. But before that, and there was no trace of this anywhere, and we have both looked, there was a proper post his was kind of bad manners on the run in a fairground style theme song. <laughs> I seem to remember it went, how dare you do what you're doing to me, to can play that game. I can't remember the rest of it, but you can probably write the rest of it in your own head. But again, there's no trace of that anywhere. The educating Marmalade kind of style sort of yes, thing. Yes, exactly that, yeah. Or the Cracker Jack thing by uh, Jez and Dave. I have this theory about 987, everything in kids' TV changed. They put a baseball cap on everything and everything became cool and stuff and all the zany uncle stuff of the kids' TV was all before 1987. If you ask about anybody about all oh, Gungie game shows, they're going to say, Funhouse, how dare you, he's just forgotten. Well, I've got to ask this question, which is, people might not know this, but you're one of the leading Tiswas fans. And that is you, true. You have participated in Tiswas revival stuff. You've also been on Dick and Dom in the Bungalow. Do you wish you'd been on How Dare You? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a very quick answer. I'm actually up in Newcastle next week. I don't think I can uh, pop down to a demolished studio, though. I kind of like the idea of messing about and things like that, but I, I was genuinely scared of, of the Phantom Flanflinger as a child. I'd run away from him thinking he'd climb out of the television and try and get me. And when I was at the Tizzles reunion show at um, ITV in 2006, met the guy behind the mask, Benny Mills, and he was completely drunk, and I thought, I'll just try and get rid of this childhood fear by trying to talk to him and he's bellowing my face saying where's my free t-shirt and you know at the age of 32 i was just like frightened again and just sort of shied away from him i couldn't get past it but i've met him since and he's a, he's a lovely old man he's in his 80s now he's, a, he's quite a lunatic so did you actually like the five star theme or not no i wasn't into pop music as much as a child i think that must have been brought in yeah everything going on at time t's seemed to be centered around pop music a bit of how dare you bled into razzmatazz didn't it later on yes that's right yeah i forgot that they co-opted elements of it didn't they and pop bled into how dare you that they had one edition where they just didn't have the teachers on the seats they brought in frankie goes to hollywood at the height of their fame and had all these school children throwing these gungy mopeds at them honestly one episode it just centered around frankie goes to hollywood for no apparent reason we're sticking with juvenile other keeper your second choice i don't really have a clip i can use here so here's a pop song that was around at the time that sort of had the same kind of spirit no big request to miss crane the headmistress of primary school and a massive request to mr evans the principal of secondary wherever they may be my junior school was Stanley, secondary tall still. If I could turn back then the time, I would be going to them still. Yet to miss couple beer, then the time it was a thrill. So don't be like me a fool. You would mango a school. You would mango a school. Don't be like me a fool. And taking them a style and then you know culture rule. This time it's school time chronicle. My school time chronicle. Oh. Okay, that was Smiley Culture doing School Time Chronicle, which to be fair, somebody could have picked for this anyway. But Pete, this is School Fun comic. Yes, that's right. It's from the IPC stable, so the same people as Wizard and Chips and Buster. You could expect a little bit of anarchy again, following a theme here. It's the kind of comic for people who want to wear a badge saying, I hate school or down with teacher type of thing. <laughs> it didn't last very long. I think it lasted about six, seven months. But I bought almost every issue. As I recall it, wasn't it? It was all school themed and it was all, there were no serious strips in it, were there? It was all crazy zany antics but they were all based on actual properties pretty much weren't they some legit some 
Very definitely not. I remember there was ETT, the extraterrestrial teacher, which I, I don't think they contacted Amblin Entertainment about that. Yeah, and there's Coronation Street School, which is just a parody of Coronation Street, obviously. There was Grange Hill Juniors, which was a legit licensed strip and drawn, you know, like a, like a, an adventure comic. So all, all very realistic and everything. Who was but... in that? A young Roland? It was the Imperial Phase people, Jonah and Annette Furman and that, those kind of people, really. Gripper Stepson's definitely in it. But in primary school, were they? It's them based in junior school, so I suppose it's like a Muppet Babies version of Grange Hill. That is completely out of whack with Grange Hill continuity. I say that in awareness that Coronation Street School obviously complies to all <laughs> legitimate Coronation Street. <laughs> that just doesn't make any sense to me there. Who would want to read that? Because it's like first the summer wine when they knew Seymour, even though they didn't meet Seymour until about 25 million series into Last of the Summer Wine. Yeah. I'm thinking yeah. about this too much, aren't I? It's, it's like a rock and chips for Granger, I don't know. There was Young Arthur as well, wasn't there, which is Arthur Daly at school. Yeah, a definite nod to that. Written and drawn by a private eye cartoonist, Pete Dredge. I went to one of the cartooning course about 20 years ago because I thought I could get a career as a cartoonist and uh, kind of dropped out of it. But Pete Dredge was my mentor and he, he mentioned that. I'm like, oh. Oh, I remember that bit. But yeah, School Fun it didn't last too long and it eventually got merged with Buster. And I think one of the longest surviving strips out of it was School Bell, drawn by Tom Patterson. That's ringing a, well, it's ringing a bell, yeah. but who was School Bell? Uh, it's supposed to be portrayed as this delectable blonde haired girl that everybody fancied oh, and she changed yes. her boyfriend every week or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's a strange world, School Fun, because in about two thirds of their strips, it seems that Teachers were the enemy, they're bad, you know, which I'm all down with uh, <laughs> as an eight-year-old. And then in some of them, everybody's good. It's all the school helping out together in things like Time Bus, things like that. Hang on, you can't just say things like Time Bus and let that time go. Bus. What happened in that? That's a time-travelling school bus. I guess when you've got the remit to, like, oh, let's do some strips about school, you've got to go into every available avenue, haven't you? So, yeah, it's a time-travelling school bus. Well, it is interesting that it is kind of part of the last gasp of the the idea that children would take to the naughty schoolboy. Yeah. Those sort of antics, it does change abruptly in the sort of mid to late 80s. I mean, I know before that you've got Grange Hill, you've got Marmalade Atkins, a couple of other things which are pointing towards the future, but it was still kind of Winker Watson-style school antics was the order of the day. But in the mid-80s, yeah. I don't know if it's related to what was going on politically at that point, which having two parents who were teachers, I knew all about what was happening with Baker Days, and national curriculum and so on you know everything that happened that you know where there was juvenile misbehavior they would say it's not my fault it's the teachers and it became a more serious proposition it's after that you start to get things like grange hill it had never been you know exactly walk in the park it does get a lot more serious around the mid 80s can i shoehorn in the mention of hardwick house the start absolutely you're allowed that and i can get in palace hill yeah palace hill exactly there's loads of like quite serious school novels i'm not counting secrets in the school underground which is one of my choices and looks unfamiliar because that's dreadful but there is that sudden tonal shift and school fun i don't think would have existed just a couple of years later yeah i think you're right there i think up until as i'm saying the whole 97 epoch um that i've come up with that's my, my theory i think that's the time when comics gradually dropped the whole teacher in a mortarboard thing 
where you know like from the dandy where everything was set in the 1950s and of course there were school days on the zx spectrum which is 400 <laughs> lines eric you are not a kangaroo is a phrase that will mean a lot to a lot of people listening you know so that reflected that as well but not every spectrum game around then was full of anarchic school-based fun and i don't think i can put very much in to represent your next choice because people always complain when they put noises of computer games in but here's a little bit of it and i hope it isn't too much for your ears Okay, that collection of blippering was from Curse of Sherwood. Pete, I remember this existing. I don't remember playing it. It was the first computer game I ever bought. A lot of people seem to know the first record they ever bought. I'm more interested in computer games, of course. It was around about the mid-80s. I got a Spectrum Plus 2. I wasn't around for the heyday of the Spectrum, where things were kind of very creative with companies like Ultimate Software putting out some very colourful games and things like that and creative by the time I joined the Spectrum scene and you had big giants like Ocean and US Gold putting out arcade conversions and film licenses and uh, most of the creative original games would be relegated almost in status and thankfully price to those £2 things or budget labels from companies like Mastertronic Codemasters. Curse of Sherwood is just a simple arcade adventure from Mastertronic. It's never going to win like the best game of the year award but um, it's a perfectly pleasant generic computer game where you just you're in Haunted Sherwood forest and just shoot some bad guys really it's it's the most general computer game i I could really imagine well the interesting thing i noticed about it is you know you assume from the name of it that you're robin hood it appears they've actually fry a tuck and you're fighting skeletons and witches yeah you never actually see robin hood in it at all and it's not like you have to pay for a license to use that it's public domain ah well i've got a theory about that which is when it was in development robin of sherwood itv's saturday evening tea time adventure show would there still be the going concern and if they had of sherwood in the title somebody might have said hang on a minute lads so they might have hastily changed it at the last minute like the way do you remember the game splitting images oh yes by domark yeah central threatened to sue them so they changed to split personalities split personalities yeah yeah so I wonder if it was that kind of deal. It's just mad that Domark actually did do an official spitting image game anyway. Which was really good. I loved the spitting image game. I never got to play that one. I got to play the Viz one, which was terrible. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Curse of Sherwood. It feels like an ultimate game from the early 80s, really. And had it been released about three or four years earlier, it might be very well remembered. Well, I've got very fond memories. Like you say, it was always the Mastertronic ones. You seem to find them more in news agents where there'd be a display rack with these dozens and dozens of games for two quid. I think, did they do one man in his droid? That's one. It always turned up. Half of them had these nice cartoony covers. Airbrush seriousness. I went for the, you know, the silly cartoony covers, of course. They usually turned out to be quite good. There were some stinkers around well i i've got such fun memories of you know i had some really big games on the spectrum i had some that weren't as big but i remember fondly but one man in this droid i remember particularly well because i bought that on boxing day in whatever year it was it came out i've been given money to get a computer game and i saw the cover of that i thought that's two pound i can get that on some books as well and so i got that and i loved it it's a very simple game 
but it was funny to look at and it was addictive to play. Yeah, there's a lot of silliness in there because they haven't, they haven't got the money for uh, any licenses. So these people are given free reign to be as creative and silly as they can. There's things like Feud. There's 180. This dart simulator, which is, um, well, I don't really play darts games, but it's, it's the, one of the best things I've ever played. And you get all these things for like two or three quid. And being impoverished as I was at the time, that was my weekly fix, really. Wasn't there one also called, I don't remember playing it, but 1985 the day after yes that was always in the merging of two franchises obviously 1984 and i always thought what would 1985 have been imagine colin baker breakdancing to axel f forever (laughs) and the day after which was the nuclear attack film nobody remembers of steve guttenberg in it yes america that must have been a grim game i'd never played that one but i always saw it in just about every corner shop i went into (laughs) nobody bought it because it looked so grim you see a few of them released for the minority formats like MSX or Acon Electron so those stuck around covered in dust for you know many years so did you finish Curse of Sherwood I never have got like very very close to finishing it and even with uh, a poke to get infinite lives <laughs> I keep falling into the swamp. I've got past the swamp a few times, but I don't have the stamina to keep it going. But um, maybe, I don't know, what we're talking about 27, 28 years later, I might end up completing it one day. So when in the Robin Hood legend did Friar Tuck fall into a swamp? <laughs> I remember. It's on uh, Robin of Sherwood. It was that episode that I had. There were other Robin Hood games. There's Super Robin Hood, and then there's... Um, oh, what's that I, game? I, I, Again, you can't just say there was Super Robin Hood and leave it there. What happened in that? A Super Robin Hood was a Codemasters effort, just a pure platformer, really. How was he super? Exactly, I don't know. It's the, the Oliver Twins, the people who made the Dizzy games, they were just tasked to come out of a game and they thought, well, Robin Hood is public domain, let's just use him as the hero. And he was just firing a bow and arrow at baddies and things. It was just, you didn't see much of a forest in there, you're just climbing up ladders and things like that, really. Oliver Twins are from Nottingham, so maybe Robin Hood is the inspiration there, I don't know. Well, as you say, the were a lot of games that went for public domain characters to get around the issue of licensing things. There were a lot of licensed games as well, but I'm fairly sure, I've not looked this up, but nobody did the game based on your next choice. And I think you'll find out why soon enough. Hordak and the evil Horde are out to get He-Man and Skeletor. Hordak, Hordak. Skeletor, Skeletor. Who can defeat Gruesome Grizzlor and the Sucking Leech? Grizzlor, Grizzlor. Leech, Leech. Hordak and the Evil Horde. New from Mattel. Hordak. Okay, that was an advert for the Evil Horde, and you may have noticed one familiar name in there, so you may be guessing what toy franchise they were from already. Pete, who were they? Everybody knows Masters of the Universe, He-Man in his cosmic battles with Skeletor, and then there's that spin-off, She-Ra, Princess of Power, which nobody at school ever admits to watching, but we all did anyway, because basically it's your your fix of getting more He-Man. And her nemesis was Hordak, and the range, range of um, evil soldiers called the Horde. My brother was massively into the He-Man side of things, He-Man and Skeletor. He was buying all those toys. I wanted to get some of the toys, but I think we'd come up with some sort of pact where, like, he'll have He-Man and Skeletor, and I can go, you know, we can play together if I buy the Horde range. So I started buying those. But one for you agreed of, we wouldn't buy She-Ra or anything like that. That's that's too girly and that's too soppy type of thing. So I ended up with loads of these bizarre baddies. And at this time, when the franchise was dying off, 
they're throwing everything they could to make these toys stand out. So you had things like um, Mossman, which had its own scent. Basically, um, a baddie in... It was like an expensive car air freshener. It was like butcher's grass he was covered in, wasn't it? Yeah, like AstroTurf. <laughs> yeah. At Christmas, some of the accessories... I mean, there, there was a slime pit, which you could stick baddies in and um, kind of just drop slime onto them, I think. <laughs> you could be in that how dare you. How dare you now, yeah. aren't we? So, and then there was some skeleton of a cat, where you, which is designed to hold all your figures when you weren't using them. So my ambition was to finish all of that off, but the figures turned out to be very expensive, all these silly gimmicks. A lot of them were scented, and... Uh, so it, it didn't really end you know i didn't really finish it there well hordak was the leader of the evil horde but i remember and obviously the name checked in the advert there was leech grislaw and mantena who appeared to be his power was his eyes went out on stalks yeah another little gimmick weren't so much around with the original he-man figures i think they're just looking at things like transformers and thinking oh We've really got to up our game here, lads. And they didn't really succeed. And I remember, this gets very little mention now, but they tried to reboot it. It's kind of... Firstly, there was Battle Damage, He-Man and Skeletor, where oh, yeah. I think their chest plates rolled round to reveal, you know, serious injuries. But then, didn't they do a whole new thing? It was like Ye Olde He-Man or something. It was a very gothically drawn He-Man and Skeletor in the new cartoon series. And the figures were relaunched to match that. And that was the absolute end of it then. Yeah, I think it's something in the 90s, uh, you know, but I'd just about grown out of kids' TV and I saw <laughs> something, some Japanese anime thing literally called He-Man, which was, was based on it. I didn't know where that was going, but, it, you know, it's, it's like those things when you, you know, you go back and you flip through the channels and you see there's a CGI Fireman Sam and all that. But, you know, I don't want to become one of those people who moans, oh, everything was better in my day. And, yeah, leave them to it, I guess. How many of the Evil Horde did you actually collect then? I think only about five or six. There's one with covered in fur. I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, there's explicit warnings not to get slime on him because he would wreck the figure. <laughs> so you spent all your money on that figure and then the slime pit and then thought, oh, hang on, I can't <laughs> play these together. Yeah, it, it was pretty pretty tricky. And, uh, you know, as I'd vowed not to get any of the Shira stuff, I just had an army of baddies, really, and only when my brother would let me just play around with He-Man could I have battles and things like that. Well, you still had it slightly better than... The thing that has always stuck in my mind about Masters of the Universe was, you know, even before the battle action variants and so on, you had your basic He-Man. You also had Prince Adam, who was He-Man in his, you know, Sunday best before he became He-Man. Although yeah, there wasn't yeah. a cringer to go with Battle Cat, I don't think. But you also have Faker, which is He-Man but dyed blue with what? different coloured hair from when in the cartoon Skeletor tried to make a robot of He-Man and it has a, a slightly blue tinge and that's how they rumbled it but they made a figure of that now some kids out there must have had all three of those essentially the same figure that is a rip off that that is just oh that really is milking a cash cow I've generally never heard of this incident I, I thought I was pretty much up to date on the old He-Man stuff but uh, yeah, there you go maybe you were fooled by Faker when Skeletor built him and that's <laughs> We even went to see both He-Man films. You know, there was one that was basically built out of three cartoon episodes. And then there's that I terrible thing. That. Got... Yeah, yeah. The... He-Man and She-Ra. It's sort of like a crossover sort of type thing. It's basically just three old episodes stitched together. And then, of course, famously, the Dolph Lundgren thing from Canon Films, which was absolutely bogglings. Well, very early on, we went to... There was a local toy shop. I had meet He-Man and Skeletor. <laughs> and there's a huge crowd outside. And we queued up to meet them. And it was just some blokes in foam rubber 
muscle man costumes with plastic masks on. And the Skeletor kept saying, Skeletor for president. <laughs> and I'm thinking, he doesn't say that. What? Is it, are you sure you didn't walk into the Your Mother Wouldn't Like It sketch called Twee Man? That would be more entertaining. No, it's just they did their antics, shook your hand and gave you a poster that listed all of the available figures. It's just an exercise trying to get kids to buy more toys, I think. Well, I think I've won up you there because I remember meeting in a newsagent's type thing in the town centre. There was a meet Darth Vader, and although he never said anything, it's a pretty realistic looking costume. So. Okay, well, I'm wondering if you might have been navigating your way past Darth Vader to buy some of your next choice, which, again, I can't think of any relevant clip for this, so here's some complete nonsense. <laughs> Okay, that was the dulcet tones of one Ben Baker posing as Sir Alan Potato in a sketch from one of our old sketch shows, which... I can't even be bothered explaining what it was all about. But, Pete, it's not Sir Alan Potato and Mashington's Mash we're talking about here. It's Burton's Potato Puffs. The thing that people remember about them is that they were mainly air. Burton's Potato Puffs um, were very thin, very easily breakable, and you seem to get a lot of them in the packet. They come out really salted and salt and vinegar, and just they're in tiny fragments, and they got everywhere. Yeah, at the bottom of the bag, wasn't there basically kind of microscopic dust that you, if you <laughs> within six feet of it, you inhaled it through your nostrils? Yeah, by the time you get to the end of it, it's just potato granules and salt. I do remember the packet as well, because it had potato puffs written in that kind of 70s puffy lettering, but also a child looking very quizzically at the logo with his finger resting on his face as if to say, I'm not sure about this. (laughs) In my head, he's just licking, you know, he's got his tongue out, sort of licking his upper lip type of thing. Well, I've just Googled it, and I think we're both on, because he used to be doing a sort of Brucey thinker pose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Burton's have sort of disappeared, but they had that ubiquity. Because they did very cheap, very... You can't say high-concept snacks, but high-volume, maybe, because they did potato puffs. They also did fish and chips. Yeah, that's right. I've got written down here as well. I don't know what that's about, but invented Mr. Hammer. So I've written that down at some point, and I don't know why. Oh, this is a great psychologist meeting. (laughs) There was a lot of third-division snacks out there. Burton's Piglets, which was a pickled onion kind of flavour version of puffs. I don't know why they bothered went to all that um, effort to call it like piglets and stick some cartoon pig on the cover when it was just pickled onion flavoured puffs really they were sort of piglet shaped though kind of Look more like oh yeah vaguely really. and there's a thing called skydivers I think that's KP that was KP that was covered in the edition of this with Steve O'Brien and they had that very virulent flavouring which felt like it took a layer of skin off the roof of your mouth but potato puffs had the sometimes jagged edges that would dig yeah. into your cheek you would have shards of potato puffs um, embedded in between your teeth and stuff um, yeah my mum didn't really like all that but uh, they were the cheapest crisps so uh, a choice for many a lunchbox I just remember them mainly from infant school and a lot of it breezing around the playground, like literally just embedded in the tarmac. Do you remember about fish and chips? What the, because they came in a bag that was like a mocked up newspaper 
I think it was called yeah. the Daily Fish and Chips. Do you remember what the story on the front of it was? See, just usually they just repeat a few words again and again and again because nobody could be asked to get a copywriter in. No, it had an actual story. As far as I remember, it said, holy mackerel, what a catch. And it was about how great fish and chips the crisps were. I was on a holiday um, a few years ago in Scarborough and they served up chips in some mock newspaper because you can't do it now because of EU health and safety Nazis. And it was just this kind of waxy paper, a mocked parody of a tabloid newspaper. Somebody had gone to the trouble of actually writing something very generic about how chips are nice and tasty, blah, 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 and kind of repeating it again and again. It, it did throw me back to a Burton's fish and chips. It didn't have a story about, wow, 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 we want our ARE sovereignty back with her <laughs> Paul Nuttall. Paul Nuttall's of the U-chips. <laughs> There you go. That's your one joke. Are there any other crisps that you wish would make a comeback? In fact, do you even wish potato puffs would make a comeback? Um, I think potato puffs should make a comeback. Just, I could use it as everyday filling in repairing a sofa or something like that. Well, I mean, people are probably wondering why, if you thought that you ever bought potato puffs, but they'll be wondering even more why you were collecting your last choice, which I'm going to just include a tiny bit of this music so as not to alarm people. If you recognise that, you might have turned this off already. If you don't recognise it, that was the main title theme from June, David Lynch's 1984 adaptation of Frank Herbert's long-running series of sci-fi novels, which, it's an ordeal watching it, let's just say that. You would not believe that there would have been any merchandise on it aimed at kids, because it's not a very kid-friendly story, and it's about 8,000 hours long, and it is dull. But not only with their action figures and the colouring book, it was a sticker album, and Pete, you appear to have collected these. Let's just say, if there's one thing from this podcast you're going to take home with you, it's that my news agents were well stocked with IPC titles. Their comics tended to have a, some sort of deal with Panini, where just about every subject Panini flung out, they'd stick a free sticker album in with Wizard and Chips or Whoopi or whatever it is to get you hooked. And I still, to this day, have never seen Dune, and that's why I'm including it, really. I mean, I know they did big things like um, football, of course, and World Cup and uh, E.T., that was massive, Star Wars, you can't deny that. But Dune, a film that I don't think anybody at school had ever heard of, yet I just blindly just kept on buying stickers for it. It was an absolutely stupid idea, really, and completely ridiculous. And one of these days, I'll aim to actually go and watch Dune. Well, yeah, we should probably talk about Dune a bit as a bit of background, because it is one of those things that has kind of lost its ubiquity a bit. They were a long series, like I say, of far future sci-fi novels. They were always in a bit of the library where when you went to find your dad when you got the books you wanted and you said the adult section, there were always loads of June novels, like on the shelf in front of him. And it was very stylized, very much the sort of thing, it was kind of like in some ways the Tolkien of the sci-fi world. Yeah. It was a whole universe people could immerse themselves in. And you'd think David Lynch doing a film of it would be a match made in heaven, but it just didn't work, and it starred Sting as well. And Carl McLaughlin, of course, but 
you forget he's in it because it just goes on and on and on. And it's in the soundtrack by Toto. Well. I, I get the impression it's trying to be like a highbrow Star Wars, although that could be said of Alien, really. It's being remade for next year. My impressions was just frustratingly collecting stickers, of which there are many doubles. It's doubly frustrating when they're... Well, it's a subject you have very little interest in. Did you actually understand it? Not really, but then pretty much finished all the Return of the Jedi sticker album, and uh, I didn't see that too many years later. But I was quite happy about that, because it's Star Wars, and that's cool. Whereas June, even now, doesn't quite appeal to me. I suppose I should check it out and see if, see if my efforts at collecting these adhesive nuisances will have paid off. What are the sticker albums? did you collect then the main one was football 86 i must have got the whole liverpool team in twice over and everton which given there are a lot of liverpool supporters at my junior school that made me quite kind of cool here and there and then as you remember towards the back of those things the scottish leagues i think somebody mentioned your podcast earlier about them being they're like half stickers each but you had these nice luxury foil stickers that are sort of pseudo hologram just about all the boys at junior school who were collecting all these uh, stickers, if they found any doubles and things, they'd just be slammed on local lampposts and people's cars and things like that. And I'd be walking home from school and just seeing, oh, there's a nice full sticker of Dunbarton FC. I really need that. Don't even stick any tube ones on lampposts and you think, oh no, there's Peter de Vries, I need him. Who's throwing Emperor Shadow 4 in the gutter? He's on the reserve team. <laughs> I think some website I was looking at earlier was talking about Alien, which is a distinctly adult sci-fi franchise somebody brought some official toys of them aimed at children didn't they oh yeah a kid down the road had the alien <laughs> and he was so scared of it he put it outside his bedroom at night and put a barricade behind the door that's what I did with my June sticker album and I think we know from that whether you're ever going to bother watching the film itself Pete it's been a pleasure thank you cheers About me, like Tim Worthington. A big book full of old articles giving a new twist, looking at how and why I ended up on the BBC News channel with a big caption saying, Clangers expert. More details, timworthington.org.